You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, take your Bible with me and turn to John chapter 11. As you're turning there, I want you to think about something. It's the number seven. And if you, if you stop and think about number seven, it's everywhere, all right? There's seven colors in a rainbow. There's seven days in a week. There are seven notes in the musical scale, right? There's seven Harry Potter books in the Harry Potter series. It's number seven is just everywhere. And it's not just creation. It's not just children's literature that none of us want to let go of. It is in the Holy Bible, okay? If, if you look through God's Word in the Old and New Testaments, you see seven laps around Jericho. You see Naaman dipping in the Jordan River seven times. Uh, but I love when Peter asks Jesus, hey, how many times should we forgive? Seven times, Jesus? You think that's enough to forgive the same person seven different times? What does Jesus say? 70 times seven. So over 700 times in the Bible, we have the number seven. And that is a number that isn't just out there. It actually has meaning. There is something behind that. It holds the symbolism of completion and fullness. But my favorite seven in the whole Bible is the sevens that we've been going through, the magnificent, magnificent seven of the I am's that Jesus gave us in the book of John, where he tells us, I am. And there's seven different analogies where we learn truth about our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is our final installment in this I am series right here in John 11. And we spent a lot of time in the beginning talking about how so many people are confused about the identity of Jesus. There are a lot of layers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our king. He is our savior. He has adopted us. We sang about all of these things already this morning. He desires to walk with you wherever you're at right now, wherever you may find yourself, whether it's in a very dark place, whether it's in an amazing place that you've always dreamed of being, Jesus is there for you and he wants to be with you. And there's another seven that is actually in the crosshairs of what Jesus is teaching in this chapter, and it's the seven stages of grief, okay? So in John 11, there's a death, and many of us in this room have questions for God exactly like Mary and Martha had. We have people in this room right now, some of us know people who are sad, hurting, and some of us are just wondering, what does the future hold? Why don't I have an answer here? So one of the things that I hope you've been able to pick up throughout this series is every time Jesus gives us an I am statement about himself, he's not just teaching about a truth of his character. Okay, He is doing that. He is teaching us truth about his character. But he is also at the same time personalizing that and teaching us something about ourselves. We're going to see today that Jesus cares for you. And when you can't wrap your mind fully around a situation, 
There's something more than just knowing about Jesus. It's, it's knowing him personally. Knowing him relationally. What you need is a comforter. You need somebody who will be there for you. Sometimes you just need somebody who you can cry on their shoulder. You, you, you need some, to let out some tears, not just get some facts. And again, that's what we have from Jesus here in John 11. This is a narrative story that we're going to read through. And Jesus for sure reveals truth about himself. But he's also revealing his personal side. That he is there for you. And that's what will change your life. So please follow along with me. And I'm going to read the first 27 verses. And we're going to see this final I am statement of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Those of you who were with us a couple weeks ago remember John 8. Okay, this is shortly after that. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death But they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. A lot going on here, right? We're going we're gonna to catch up on all this. Let's keep reading, though. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So it took a while to get there. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to cons- console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
who is coming into the world. So we just all heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, have you ever thought about how for news to actually be good news, there has to be some bad news first? We have bad news right now to start off in this chapter, okay? Lazarus is dead. His sisters are beside themselves. So as we walk through this narrative together and see what Jesus reveals about himself and personalize what it means for our relationship with him, I want you to see the first point today And that is, number one, believe that there's a purpose behind your pain. Death is inevitable. It can be devastating. And, of course, we often think of death as a terrible thing. But for Jesus here, in this chapter and throughout the rest of the book of John, death is a footstool for Jesus. Jesus has conquered death, and death has no power over Jesus Christ. Now, most of us in this room know that, we believe that, but that still begs the question, in the moment, in the the heat of the moment right here, for Mary and Martha, for Lazarus who was sick, why would Jesus wait two days before he ever put his foot out the door and started to move? Why would Jesus wait? Many times in our pain, in our suffering, we're, we're in that same position where we ask the same question. God, where are you? God, are you moving at all in this situation? I don't see any movement from you yet, and I am suffering over here. Where are you, Jesus? Why is it taking so long? So why did Jesus, in John 11, wait two days before he ever made a move? Did you catch it as we read through this? It's not because... He didn't love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So why is he allowing this pain? Go back to verse 4. He had a plan behind all of this. Look again at verse 4. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So when you were going through a perhaps a serious sickness... Or when you're facing unprecedented unknowns, where you're just waiting for an answer, you're waiting for a phone call, you're waiting for that email. It's not coming. It's not coming. There's all this, all this cloud over you. When you are feeling the effects, maybe, of someone else's wickedness that is directly affecting you. Know right here, number one, already, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. And number two, no, Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a plan in John 11. He's going somewhere with this. To glorify God is to show his glory, right? What is God's glory? It's everything that is true about his character. So we can glorify God in our words, in our actions, in our art, in your responses. You can glorify God. And Jesus has a plan here, and he always has a plan. This didn't catch him off guard. Jesus knows exactly how this will end, and he's going somewhere with this. So his plan was to use this painful reality of death to show his glory, to show that he is God, and to show that he has power over death. And think about it, though. It didn't even stop there. Through this, he is going to deepen his relationships with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, another piece of this is found in verse 8. 
I want to point out that Jesus never shied away from walking into trouble, right? Jesus is reminded by his disciples, you're going into dangerous territory. Judea, that's the same place where you just called out those Pharisees and you said, before Abraham was, I am. They were ready to stone you, okay? So Thomas um, steps up. You can see what kind of character Thomas has. Jesus has no fear, and his disciples are, are, are following him, and they're saying, hey, you're not afraid to run into this situation. This person's in a place of desperation. Jesus is never afraid to come in there. He's walking into the fire. Jesus is the only hope that matters for the hopeless. And I think this is another thing in verse 9 where, where Jesus says, those who walk in the light do not stumble because they see the light of this world. Verse 10, those who walk in the night are stumbling in darkness because the light is not in them. So this is very important before we even get to Thomas. Physical illness does not lead to spiritual death. Sin brings death. Because when he uses the word darkness here, that's always a symbolism for sin. It's a picture of our sin. So the reason why Jesus had to come into the world in the very first place and walked towards the cross that he knew was awaiting him was because your sin has separated you from God. My sin has separated me from God. And sin is anything that is in contradiction to the character of God. It's missing the mark of his perfection. And the truth is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving, but you can't be thankful if you don't acknowledge that you've been given grace, just like Caitlin was mentioning and we just sang about. So the bad news that comes for the good news is this. We are all sinners. We're all wretches and are on our own, apart from God. We are broken, dirty, despised, rejected, every single one of us. But God enters the picture. So we can celebrate life on this Sunday morning, not because of what we have done, but because of the gift that we have received by the grace of God. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Romans 5, 8 through 11 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's the good news. But in this, in this to, to go back into John 11, Lazarus has died, just like one day we will die. But remember what was highlighted in verse 4. Jesus has a plan. He spells that out again in verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus has a plan here in John 11. He had a plan for the cross and he has a plan in your life right now with whatever you're going through right now. It's the same Jesus. He still has a plan. He always has a plan. Now, maybe you are like Thomas right here. And, uh, do a little mini character study on Thomas. You can find out very quickly, Thomas was a realist. He was, he was one of those people, um, 
liked facts. Maybe that's you. You like science, you love facts, like what can I see in front of me, handle and hold? That's what I'm gonna believe. And Thomas wasn't just a realist, but he also was a passionate person. Once he believed, he was all in. He's ready to follow Jesus to death. We're gonna go into this hostile territory. I'm gonna be there with you by your side, Jesus. That's how much he believed at this, at this point in time. This is, this is an awesome guy to have by your side, right? Wouldn't you want a guy like Thomas by your side? As I'm talking about the gospel here, though, today, I know there's people in the room, most likely, who it just sounds like a fairy tale to you. It's like somebody's telling you about, about something that happened in their week and you really could care less, right? But you're just nodding and smiling along with them um, because you don't really get it. You don't really get what they experienced. Some people are like that when we talk about the gospel. They've, they've never experienced the gospel of Jesus transforming their heart. And so they hear this stuff about Jesus dying on the cross and it just goes in one ear, out the other, and it has no effect on their, on their emotions or who they are because they haven't seen it and felt it themselves, okay? Thomas here wants to follow Jesus to death, but if you fast forward like eight days into the future where we find Thomas in John 20, Jesus has now risen from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples and he's shown them that he is alive, but Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas says to the rest of the disciples, they're like, hey, you won't believe this. Jesus is alive. He's back. You remember, does anybody remember this in John chapter 20 with Thomas? He's like, hey, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I touch it with my own fingers, unless I feel the wound on his side, I will never believe. That's what Thomas said. And a few days later, guess what happened? <laughs> Jesus came to Thomas and he said, hey, Thomas, touch my hand right here. Feel that nail, that nail scar. Put your hand right here. You feel my side? This is where the spear went through it. And Jesus said to Thomas, you see now that you believe. Blessed are those who have never seen, yet still believe. And thank God that's most of us in this room this morning, right? Praise God for that. But Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he gave his life to go on mission for the glory of God to tell people about the resurrection. Church tradition tells us Thomas went all the way into India, same place that we're going to be ministering to here in December. He went to India and he was a martyr for the name of Jesus Christ because he gave his life to telling others about the resurrection. So if you don't believe Jesus, if you, don't, if you have never witnessed it and experienced it, we're asking you to have faith like Jesus is asking you to have faith. And Thomas was a realist. But when he saw it, he couldn't deny it. And what God has done in my life, I cannot deny. And what God has done in the lives of so many of you is an evident testimony of how he changes lives. If you're ready to believe, you can call out in faith to him right now. You can confess your sin and repent this very moment. In the middle of my message, you can do that. And I invite you to do that. For those of us who 
who aren't quite ready for that, let's keep going, okay? And for all of us in this room, let's keep going in this story. Back to John 11. God has a purpose behind the pain, and it has something to do with his glory. We just don't know what it is yet. Jesus is asking you to trust him. And that's exactly what's going on with his exchange with Martha as well. So here's our other character in the story. We just talked about Thomas. Let's talk about Martha for a minute, okay? If you've read the Gospels, and let's say all you knew about Martha was the story in Luke 11, where Jesus is teaching. That's when, he first, that's when Jesus first met Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was alive at this time. And Jesus was teaching. Does anybody remember this story? Martha is sitting at the feet of Jesus, like a good little girl, taking her notes, listening. What's Martha doing? Serving. Serving. She's working. She's hustling. I got to get everything right. There's all these disciples. These guys eat a ton of food. Come on. Like, we got to get this, this house in order, right? So she's serving. She's working. And she gets upset at Mary for not helping her. And then Martha even goes as far as to talk down to Jesus and call him out. Okay. <laughs> Had some audacity. She just met Jesus, so we'll give her some grace here. She doesn't quite know who she's talking to. But she calls out Jesus. And the Martha that we meet here, and and Jesus had a great exchange with her back in Luke 11. But I dare say we see a lot of growth in Martha at this point. If all we had about Martha was like Luke 11 and that whole exchange, I don't think anyone would ever name the little girl Martha. (laughs) Never want to do that. Okay, but let's look... Look, look with me again here at, uh, at verse 22. Let's look again at how Martha changed, just, just to get a refresher. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha believes that Jesus is the Messiah. She believes that Jesus will bring life. And he asks her the same question that he's asking you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? So this is where we go into our second point now. Um, Point number two, believe in the one who cares for you. I want to read, keep reading in verse 28 as we go along with the story. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had left him, had met him, excuse me. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing Martha said. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, 
See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So verse 33 says that when Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Two words, Jesus wept. When I was a kid, I think I've shared this before, but when I was a kid, I went to church and our church would give kids candy if they memorized verses, okay? This is something that is timeless. Got it? Nothing wrong with that, okay? But I remember kids that would come maybe for the first time at church and, you know, they didn't really know the Gospels. They didn't know many verses and they had to memorize a verse, right? So what are you going to do? I mean, come on, this is easy. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. I know a Bible verse. Give me some candy. And we all laughed about that, right, of course. But there's a lot in this verse, in these two words. Why is Jesus weeping? For most of my life, I thought, just like the Jews here that, that witnessed all this, well, Jesus is weeping because he loved Lazarus, right? Look how he's crying because Lazarus is dead. But you know what? The Jews that were there in that moment, they didn't have all the context of what we've just read, right? They didn't know that Jesus had a plan. They definitely didn't know what Jesus was about to do in a few minutes. Jesus knew what he was about to do. So how... Could Jesus be crying because Lazarus is dead when Jesus knows I'm about ready to raise this man to life? Because that's his whole plan, right? So why is Jesus crying? We still have that question. Well, just let's put on our Sherlock hat. Let's do some deductive reasoning, okay? Well, maybe he's crying because like, he's thinking about the effects of sin and how, how awful that is. Maybe that's it. Might be part of it. But the clear answer that is in this text, if you just focus on what's going on, is Jesus cares, Jesus is deeply moved because Mary and Martha are deeply moved. He cares because you care. And when you hurt, there's a part of him that's hurting too. Do you see that? He has a plan. He's going to fix it all. He, know, he knows how he's going to fix it all. It's going to be glorious. But right here in this moment, Jesus is still deeply moved because he cares for Mary and Martha and every single one of these other people who are suffering pain. When you suffer pain, Jesus hurts with you because he cares for you. That's why Jesus was crying. He knew the outcome. He is still your savior who cares for you. He's the resurrection and the life. And he's someone who you need to believe in. If you really want to be great at anything in life, you have to care, right? Just, I mean, you, you name it, pick something out. Whether it's uh, your career, whether it's your musical aspirations, whether it's sports, you have to care. We've all seen that person. We all know the difference between the person who has a lot of talent and they're just out there to have fun, right? They're out there to to roll over people maybe and to look good while doing it. You have that style of person who, who plays sports or whatever. And then you have the person who actually really cares. They, they give a crud about it, okay, to, to, 
to use it lightly. Like, for those of who play sports, we know what we're talking about. They have heart. They have passion about it. And they don't care what their stats are. They just want to win the game, so they lay it all out on the line because they truly, truly care. Heart matters, and you can't teach heart. You don't need a faith that just is fluffy and sounds good, okay? You need a savior who truly cares for your soul. And that's what we have in Jesus. Some really, really good news. That's who we have in Jesus. Believe there's a purpose behind your pain. Believe there's one who cares for you, who's in it with you. Now let's see how Jesus moves with his loving compassion into verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. People are like, what is going on? Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is our third point today. Believe and see the glory of God. Jesus turns death into life. And this is what we have to do. We have to believe. This is plan all along to show that he has power over sin and death. He's ready to save. Lazarus. That was his plan. And he's ready to do the same for you. I love here how John ends this story in this exchange. This is master storytelling by John. There's a deep meaning here. You know, he says to all the witnesses, all the followers of Jesus who were right there, unbind him and let him go. Is that just a throwaway statement? Why is that even in there? This is how Jesus operates. He still operates this way. He brings life. He saves people. He does what only he can do, bring a dead man to life. But then he includes other people in the story. Do you see this? Jesus could have finished the job completely, right? Think about when Jesus rose from the dead. The linens were off. They were folded up nicely, and he was out free. Jesus didn't do that in this this exact occasion. And this is a beautiful foreshadowing of what he wants to do in and through us right now. The outcome of the resurrection, first and foremost, is for you to believe. That's the first part. Trust Jesus. Give your life to him. That's what you were created to do. You weren't meant to live for your own pleasure and your own pursuits. Your sin has separated you from God. You were designed by God with unique gifts and talents for his glory. So believe in him. Be satisfied in him. But the second outcome of your salvation is to help unbind fellow 
resurrected brothers and sisters from the shackles of the effects of their sin. You see that? Jesus is calling you to step into their lives and help them unwind the tangled mess that is still clinging to them. Jesus defeats death and he deploys you to remove the remnants of death. We have a part to play in the story as well. I love this. Jesus says, hey, go unbind him. He's telling you right now, still, go unbind that person. Maybe it's a person at work. Maybe it's a person at school. Maybe it's a person you're sitting next to today. Like help them work through the mess of life and the effects of sin that still, that still weigh us down and, and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. Lazarus' resurrection here is, is different than Jesus' resurrection. How was it different? Well, no one stood outside the grave for Jesus and called out with a loud voice. Jesus just did it on his own. No one rolled the stone away for Jesus either. He did that on his own. Lazarus was still bound and wrapped like a mummy. Jesus' clothes were left in the grave folded up. This was great. The resurrection of Lazarus was amazing, but it still has nothing on the ultimate resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Martha believed. Mary believed. Lazarus definitely believed. Most definitely. But the question is, do you believe? When you put an acorn into the ground, I hope you realize that's not death for the acorn. An acorn in the ground is not the end. It will, if it's the right sunlight and everything, everything works the way it's supposed to work, doesn't get snatched away by a nasty squirrel, it's going to turn into an oak tree one day, okay? Death is not the end of the road. Death is actually just a bend in the road to where you're going for eternity. When your body is dead and buried, your soul will live on. And the graveyard is not the final resting place for your soul. Not at all. Dead bodies are buried, but God looks at a graveyard just like a garden. The only difference between a graveyard and a garden is what you plant in there. And dead bodies that know Jesus will be restored into resurrected life. Amen? Thank God. Will you awake to the newness of life that you are offered in Jesus Christ today? Some of us, in the words of Jesus, are like Lazarus, where the disciples were like, oh, well, if he's asleep, he'll just wake up. Jesus is going to awaken him. And hopefully Jesus is awakening some of us today as well. Sin leads to death, but Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus doesn't just resurrect people. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. And last week I asked you all to speak to God and to listen to his voice. Last week, we all asked different questions, and I'm sure we all received different answers. This week, I want to finish this series by asking everyone in this room to say the same prayer today. Same prayer. Ask God, do I believe? Ask him, do I believe that he has a plan for what I'm going through right now? Do I believe that he has a purpose behind that? 
Ask God, do I believe that he cares for me? Sometimes, I've, it's really sad when this happens, but, but I've talked to people like this where they, they believe that God is good. They believe in Jesus, but they think so negatively about themselves that they don't believe God cares for them. I just want to tell you that is so wrong. It's not true. Jesus cares for you. Ask yourself and talk to God. Do I believe that I was created for God's glory and that there is a purpose behind what I'm dealing with right now? Maybe those two days that Jesus waited for you right now is like two years. Why is this still going on, Jesus? So where are you at in all of this? The answer to every one of these questions is believe in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the true vine. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And even though we have learned a lot about Jesus in this series, the underlying truth, again, don't miss it, behind all of this, is that he is a personal savior and that he cares for you. Remember how we started the series in like 10 weeks ago? <laughs> in John 14, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you remember the context of that? Some of you do, I know. That wasn't just a statement of fact about Jesus being the only way to heaven. There was way more to it than that. Guess who was also in that, in that exchange? Thomas, remember? Remember Thomas again? And Jesus was telling them, I'm gonna be going away. And Thomas was, was the spokesman of all the disciples there. And he was just like, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. Tell us what's going on. We have no idea why you're saying this. What's happening, Jesus? And, and Thomas was wrecked. He was crying out to Jesus to explain, give me something here. What is happening? In John 14, 15. And then, and then Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know some of us are there right now where we're just praying, God, where are you? Jesus cares for you. He has a plan for you. And he is going to bring glory through this situation. Just believe that he will. Believe in Jesus and watch him turn a grave into a garden. Believe in Jesus and watch him turn darkness into light. Believe in him Find pasture, he will provide it. Abide in him, watch him change you, and then you can start unwinding the bandages for other people. And then life gets really great. The beautiful thing about every single one of these analogies, these I am statements, is they aren't just informational. They go beyond knowledge and they go right to the heart. Jesus cares for you, and he's there for you. Romans 8. 31 through 32, what then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You are loved.